Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Anybody have a dad or a grandpa in their life that represents that right there? Yeah, you, you, you heard about this all, all, all growing up. Those of you who may have grown up in the, in the 30s and 40s in my grandparents' generation, you live with the reality that a few dollars or even a few cents could make a giant impact on your family's well-being. And that was a principle that was embedded into your life, so you wanted to pass that down to your kids who have now passed it down to my generation. And and here we are living in this day and age, and we still have this going on where there is the battle to save 50 cents over the thermostat. So I, I was doing a little bit of research to find out what does it cost us in Ontario? We have lots of discussion about our electricity and about our gas bills. What does it cost us if we were going to leave different things on? So, so we always have this fight in our home, flipping on and off the light switch. You have that fight in your home? Yeah, it's really important to a lot of dads. I, I, I know that. If kids, if you leave a light switch on for an entire day, you leave for school, you come back, do you know how much it costs you if you have the new LED lights install, installed in your home? Do you know how much that would cost you? That would cost you one cent. And if you, if you don't have the new, the new lights, if you're just using a regular bulb, it might cost you somewhere between four or five cents. So next time one of your parents is bugging you about leaving the lights on, you flip them a dime and say, keep the change, Dad. <laughs> and then duck, because that dime is coming right back at your head. <laughs> In my house growing up, we never flipped over to central air. That was going to be too much money. We didn't need central air in Ontario when it's 40 degrees and humid in the summer, of course. It's 48 degrees in Pakistan, so what are we complaining about, right? So, so we, did it. we didn't move over. We had one of those box air conditioner units. Does anybody remember those things? You put them in, you put them in the wind. Anybody still have one of those? You can come over to my house this afternoon. Yeah, we, we, you had to take the, you had to take the glass out, you put a piece of wood in the window, and then you had to put the styrofoam around it, and you duct tape it all around there. It was really beautiful in, in your family living room. And my dad, we did not turn that sucker on until it had to be July 1st, because it was a waste of money. You didn't need it in June, regardless of what the thermostat said. And we would only turn it on for a few hours a day, because we did not want to waste energy. And the wonderful thing about those things are that they don't cool anything down, unless you're standing right in front of it, right? And you, you, it drops your internal temperature maybe by a degree while you're standing there. So we had it on for a few hours a day. Well, when I was 21, I moved out. I got, I got my own place, and I thought, that is not going to be the way in my home. So on April 1st, I cranked that central air right down to 72 degrees. I opened the windows and opened the door and said, that's right, Dad. Air conditioner's on April 1st, and I'm cooling the whole neighborhood down. <laughs> Some of that is partially true, but it's, it's, it's funny the things about our dads that stick with us, and some of the stuff that they wanted to teach us, we didn't really catch as kids, and some of the things they didn't really want to pass down, we did catch as kids, and we're in a summer series on, on uncommon sense, and we're, and we're chatting through some of the common knowledge that this generation may have lost, and this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be a real man. 
and what a biblically, uh, a biblically centered perspective on manhood would be. And all summer long, we've been taking our, our wisdom and, and our lead from the words of Solomon, and we've been studying the Proverbs, so we're going to go there again. But our world has a bad concept of what a real man is. If you were to watch movies or, or what you see demonstrated in the media of manhood and masculinity, it would have everything to do with the size of your muscles or the depth of your bank account or how much hair you have flowing, and, and that's what's represented as, as manhood. And many of us, we don't measure up. I'm five foot eight. Most times I can un, unscrew jars. That's how strong that I am, and, and I do have 80% of my hair left. But, but when, when we look, we don't see ourselves represented in what manhood is. And in fact, we've seen a plague on our generation when we have countless numbers, more than, they're saying four to 500% more of our young men who are questioning even their gender because they don't see themselves represented in what manhood is. And if we, look, if we keep looking around and say, well, this is what it means to be a man and I don't measure up, well, then they would question, well, maybe I'm not even a man. And if we don't feel like we fit the mold, one of two things is wrong. Either we're wrong or the mold is wrong. And this morning, we're going to look at maybe, does the Bible present a different mold for what masculinity and malehood is? Now, it, I like to present a nice, well-rounded view of, of, of masculinity. I, I drink dark black coffee, just espresso if I can. It's the, the, the thong, the, the strong, thick stuff. And then at night, I like a skinny vanilla latte, you know, just to, just to keep it, keep it well-balanced that way. Many of you would know I compete in triathlons. I go, we, there's a triathlon series that competes across the province. I'm driving to all these different cities, and we're, and we're competing for hours and swim, bike, and run. And a few weeks ago, I, I completed this, my second Iron Man. I, now, is, is there any more, is there anything more masculine sounding than Iron Man, right? And you know what I did when I finished my Iron Man? I had a bubble bath in a whirlpool tub. <laughs> you got to keep it rounded, people. But, but here's, here's the thing. Races, muscles, hair, bank account, that is how we define masculinity in, in our world. And what we'll find this morning as we study is that none of it has anything to do with being a real man when we get our blueprint from the Word of God. Now, ladies... This is not an excuse. This is not your cue to get up and leave while they're talking to the men. Sweet, we're going for brunch. Here we go. Although that would be lovely. I, I understand. We need your help on this because so much of, of what masculinity, how it's been created and how it's been developed is not just male idea of what it should be. It's a female idea of, of what it should be. And we need to work on this together to make sure every man in our lives, whether it be our husbands, our brothers, our, our, our kids, those whom we work with, we want to make sure that we embrace and we advocate for a healthy perspective, a biblically founded perspective on this is what, uh, this is what masculinity looks like. And next week, we're going to flip roles and we're going to do the opposite. And together, we're going to take some time and study what a biblically centered approach to, um, to female and, and women are. So open up your Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be bouncing around a few of, of the Proverbs this morning, and our key verse is going to come out of Proverbs 13, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Here we go. We're going to allow the scriptures to shape our mind and what we think about manhood. And here's what it says. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So let's talk about the word inheritance for a moment. Most people associate the word inheritance with money. 
So consider for yourselves, what has had a greater impact on your life? Has it been the money that somebody has willed to you, money that you inherited after, after somebody passed away? Or has a greater impact been left on you by the life of that person, how they live, the memories you shared with them, the experiences you had, the stuff that they taught you? Which has had a greater impact, the few dollars or all of the stuff and the way that they lived their life and the way they demonstrated life? See, in inheritance is much more than money. It's all the stuff, anything that we have that we can deposit into the life of another human being, be it money, wisdom, character, all kinds of things. And each of us is given an opportunity to pour into the lives of other people around us. So if you're a parent, you can pour into the life of your kids. All of us can pour into nieces, nephew, those in our church, those in our family, those in our neighborhood. We all have been tasked with, giving an, with pouring into the lives of other people. That's what real manhood looks like. We are giving an inheritance of stuff to the next generation, and stuff may just not be physical, tangible stuff. I was reminded about this a few weeks ago. I received a text from one of the students who was in our youth ministry when, when, when we were the youth leaders a few years ago. And, and she said, you know, I saw something in the doctor's office today, and, and, it, and it just reminded me of you and, and, and some of the stuff that you taught me. And I was like, wow, well, this, this, this must be deep, because I was a fantastic youth pastor. So there must, <laughs> there must, be, there, there must be some great piece of wisdom about, about God's plan for her life, or the full circle, or God's, or God's creation. And no, this is the image she texted me. This, this is what was in the doctor's office. She said, you used to say that all the time, and it made me laugh. <laughs> Wonderful. I made an impact on your life. But no. <laughs> Real men make an impact. And you know, we do that whether we want to or not. And the things that we say intentionally or unintentionally, and, and, and the stuff that we pass on will leave a mark on people's lives. Now, what we want to do this morning is question, what is the inheritance that we are leaving for our children, for the next generation? Because it won't only just stay with them, it will move on to the next generation. So let's consider what is the inheritance a godly man wants to leave behind as we look at some common knowledge that may have been lost on this generation. So if you're taking notes, grab your pen, or uh, if you're filling in the blanks on your app, Here we go. Real men build a life of integrity. The things that you will leave as an inheritance to this world will be the things that you intentionally build every day. The only thing you're going to leave behind is stuff that you're creating. So, So consider, how much have you built into yourself to get your job? If, if, if you had to go to, to school to get a bachelor's degree, it, would, it required 1,500 hours of class. You, you studied for 1,500 hours to work into that degree. It cost you over $30,000 in tuition alone. You had to get your resume together. You had to write it. You had to have it edited. You had to send it out to a whole bunch of networks. You went to job interviews. You were unsuccessful with some. You became successful in one. You've had to go on the job training. And this is all for a job that you regularly complain about and say you wish you didn't have to go there every day, right? That's what you've invested in something that you don't even want to be at some days. But you do it because you believe it will be a benefit to your life, it'll be a benefit to your family, you need, you need income, and, and you feel like this has purpose. 
Over the last couple of days, we have participated in the global, some of us have participated in the Global Leadership Summit, which we've hosted here for 13 years at, at, at the church. And we had top speakers from all over the world come, those who were leaders at, at Apple, those who were leaders in, at Harvard, from Wall Street, international NGOs, in churches. And they took time to invest into us so that we would become better people. We would understand our work better. We would understand our family life better. We would understand our faith better. And you don't know how many people I had the conversation with, would you come and give two days into that? And they would say, well, it's $99 to come, and I'm not 100% sure I can, I, I can swing $100 into building myself up. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I can invest two days into, into, into getting off of work in the middle of summer. It's kind of busy. I can't really take that kind of time. Think about that. Two days and $99 to have somebody, some of the top leaders in the world pour in you and grow who you would be as a leader as a family member, as an employee, it's because our values are off. We, we have decided that what I can earn for my family is more important than who I am in my family. What I can produce in this world is more important than how I live my life. We, we've had a, we've have misplaced priorities, and it's because we've understood that real men earn money. And real men make a difference. No, real men live a life of intentional integrity. We, who you are is so much more important than what you can earn. I grew up in a single-income home, and I had all that I needed. I didn't, I, I didn't miss out on much, but I knew that at the end of the month, we were going to have less times that we would go out, and I wouldn't be able to ask for stuff to buy at school at the end of the month because we had less money, and we didn't have room on credit cards at the end of the month than, than we had at the beginning of the month. So needless to say, I have not made a whole bunch of plans on the mass amounts of millions of dollars that my father will that my father will will to me. His inheritance to me will not be financial. My father's inheritance that he will pass to me is so much more than that though. My father worked hard at his job. He did extra at his job with no need for recognition. He was a teacher in a middle school. Now, how many of you love 11, 12, and 13-year-olds? You just, they're wonderful. You do? Liars. No. <laughs> 11, 12, and 13-year-olds, they never talk back. They're always well-behaved. There's, there's never a unique smell coming from 11, 12, and 13-year-olds, is there? And you just, you just want to spend extra time with them, don't you? No, nobody does. And, and, and my father taught them for, for 30 years. And he was at a school during the, last part of his, during the last part of his career, and they didn't have budget to have a vice principal and a principal. So the principal was having to do all the jobs. So my father, went to, my father went to the principal and said, you know what I'll do? I will serve as your vice principal. I will have the uncomfortable conversations with the parents. I will help work with our staff. I will help build teams. I will help solve problems. And he did it for no recognition and no money, but just to make the life of the leader easier and just to make the life of the school more rich. That's the inheritance that my father will pass on to me. I watched my dad treat every one of his colleagues with equal respect at work. He would, I, I, would, I would come to work with him sometimes and then see the way that he talked to other people, whether male or female, whether old or young, whether they were respected or not. I saw my dad treat women with respect. I saw my dad treat each of his kids with extreme love but treat us differently. He taught me how to, how to treat, even though I believe my sister should have been treated very poorly because she was my little sister, right? You know, I, older, older brothers always believe that, but I, my dad taught me how to treat my little sister right. Here's what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 20. Children are fortunate if they have a father who is honest. 
and does what is right. Doesn't say anything about wealth. That's the inheritance that my dad is passing on to me. And we invest too much into our personal, we invest too much into our professional lives when we measure that with how much we invest into our personal life. And our personal life, who we are and how we live is worth so much more than the wealth that we generate. And you and I will never leave behind something that we are not intentionally building. The thing that will be inherited to our kids is what we have intentionally built. The thing that the next generation will see about this generation is the stuff that we do intentionally. And gentlemen, as we make our plans of how to live this fall, where are we investing in ourselves so that our integrity is raised? Maybe we want to join into a small group because we want to see, we want to have our faith as priority. Maybe, maybe we want to volunteer somewhere. Maybe we want to manage our finances differently. Maybe we want to be a different person at work, invest more time at home. How are we intentionally shifting our lives so that we become people and men of integrity? And it should be so blatant to everybody else in our life that they would know that man is a man of integrity. I can see it in the way that he works and the way that he lives because he wants to live behind the thing that he's building. Joshua out of the Bible is a life that we still study today. And he passed on an inheritance of integrity to countless generations. And this, this is what it looks like. This is what he did. He faithfully followed his leader Moses through the desert when he was successful or when he was failing, but he said, I'll do what you need me to do. I'll lead, I'll be the person you need me to be. I'll be a good follower. When he was sent out to scout the land of of Canaan, there were 12 men that went and they all said, there are giants here and I don't think we're gonna be able to do what Moses is asking us to do. And he said, I'm gonna trust Moses and I'm gonna trust God. And because of his integrity, he was one of the only men who entered the land that God had promised to them. An entire generation passed away, but his life was so integral that God honored the integrity in his life. And when he's 110 years old and he's about to die, he pulls every leader, every person, every family member that he can around him and he reminds them, he says, this is how I've lived my life. This is what God has done in my life. And, he's, and, he, and then he says to them, if this is undesirable to you, then you choose for yourself whom you will serve. And here we see in verse 15 in chapter 24. But he goes, as for me and my house and the people around me, we will serve the Lord. And we will continue to be faithful and live with integrity. Self-reflection question, men. Is your integrity in a place where you would have that much confidence? Where you could pull everybody around you and say, I don't care how you're going to live. As for me, I will honor God. I will do what's right. I will live the way he's called me to live. That's what real manhood is, regardless if you're in a bubble bath or lifting weights. (laughs) Real men. Number two, pursue a path of selflessness. So guys, are we more satisfied with life when we're doing a photo shoot with our wives in matching outfits in like a field of sunflowers? Or are we more satisfied when we're out on the road with a motorcycle or a car or whatever? whatever yeah. <laughs> we know what builds, we know what we like to do, right? Guys, are we, are we more satisfied? Would you be more fulfilled at the end of your life if your kids graduated with lesser school debt? Or would you be more satisfied when you, you got that motorcycle and you got that car? <laughs> which, which is more important to you? Real men don't live for themselves. Real men pursue the path 
of selflessness. And conceptually, we know this, but it's hard to function that way because we like the car. We like, we like the motorcycle. Proverbs, let's go back to our key verse, 13.22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So let's talk about the financial aspect of inheritance for a moment. You have a giant responsibility to distribute the wealth that has been given to you. And you may not feel like you've accumulated a lot of wealth. But the reality is if you drove to church today, if you had breakfast this morning, if you slept in an air-conditioned building, we're sitting in an air-conditioned building and it's only like 27 degrees, it's not 48 degrees outside. If those things are true of your life, then you are one of the elite in this world. And yes, you have expenses, and yes, our, our culture demands that we have a lot of income, but you have immeasurably more wealth than compared with the average human being on planet Earth. And we have a, a responsibility to say, how will I live? Will I live self, selfishly or selflessly? And the biggest mark that you and I may ever leave on this Earth will probably not have our name attached to it. The biggest mark that you and I have the opportunity to leave on this earth will be attached to somebody else if we choose to live selflessly. The dollars that you invest in somebody else rather than in your own life have the potential to do so much more for them than they do for you. Every Question, do you need another trip to Europe or do your grandkids need money invested in their post-secondary education because it's going to cost them $80,000 if they go to a four or five-year degree? Which, which do you need more? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be traveling, but I'm saying let's question every year. How much do we invest in ourselves and our own pleasure when we know our kids' lives could be changed if they didn't graduate with this mass debt, if they graduate and they started at an even playing field? Which would make a bigger mark? One more trip or your kids or your grandkids or your family members starting with a fresh start? Would that trip be better spent or... or would you, would you rather invest that money into yourself or to somebody else to go on that, on that experience? This, the, this past year, my wife Amanda and my daughter Hope, they were on um, the Tanzania team. And we decided um, that Amanda was leading the trip, so Hope, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna send you and you're going to experience another part of the world and you're going to experience serving God. And, and so, we, so we challenged her. We said, you're going to have to save half your allowance every week and you're going to have to be preparing for this. And and she went, and she had amazing experience. She went on safari. She saw giraffes and elephants, and she got to serve in the, in the school and serve in the medical clinic. But do you know what the biggest impact that has resonated with her is her relationship with a young lady named Miriam who was at, who was at the Village of Hope. And in fact, she's been talking on the phone to Miriam almost every day since she's got home a few weeks ago. Now, after about the second phone call, I went, honey, this is Wi-Fi calling, right? Like, this is... Is, you're not calling Tanzania every day, right? <laughs> I'm a dad, thermostat down, yeah, all that. <laughs> but she said, no, it's just truly unbelievable. She wants to hear this girl's story. Miriam was a girl that was brought into the Village of Hope, and somebody chose, instead of spending $35 a month on themselves, somebody on the other side of the world said, I will sponsor you for $35 a month to be in this, in this Village of Hope. And so she received family, she received care, and she received an education and training that she would never receive. 
So this girl, Miriam, said, you know, I'm going to start to serve back in and became one of the leaders in this school and in this home. So now this 19-year-old girl has now pouring into the next generation saying, because somebody sacrificed for me, I'm going to begin to sacrifice for somebody else. So she was working there while our team was there. And, and what's truly fascinating for Hope is that this girl is getting ready to go to university in South Africa well, she, where she will receive a post-secondary education and be able to provide for her family for generations to come because somebody said, I don't need another Starbucks. Because somebody said, I don't need another, I, I don't need another outfit. But you know who needs a life-changing investment? Miriam does. That's what real men do. They say, I, I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living, even my finances are going to somebody else and she will impact future generations because of the investment that was made. Here's what Peter wrote to us, 1 Peter 4.10. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. Real men are selfless and real men live with integrity. Okay, last one. Real men leave a legacy of love. If your kids grow up and they receive great marks, you made them do your homework. If they traveled the world with you, you endured long road trips in the car and long flights and you didn't kill each other and you came home with more positive memories and negative memories and your kids experienced that. And your kids even turn out the lights when they leave the room and they're successful human beings, but they don't know how much you love them. Men, will you feel successful? Better question for you. If they do all that and they know that you love them, but they don't know how much you love God, will you feel successful? And, and I state it this way, because none of us can control our kids or the next generation. We can't force anyone to love God and, and give their life over to God. But you know what we can control? We can control that everyone that is important in our lives, nieces, nephews, kids, youth in this church, youth in our community, we can make sure that they see the love of God demonstrated in me and I can be blatantly, overtly talking about it and making sure that people of the next generation know how much I love God and how much my relationship of God has impacted my life. And men, can I speak to us as, as a people? We suck at this sometimes. <laughs> We don't want to talk. We're good. Like, my faith is a private thing. Don't make me talk about how much I love, I love Jesus. And don't make me talk about how much, how much I, I, I have a dependence on him. We, we'll do it for ourselves and we'll do it in the right, if, if it's a set time. Like, okay, kids, I'm going to teach you now. Listen to daddy. Okay, good. We're moving on. Here we go. No, our kids need to know how all-consuming a relationship with Jesus is. Pastor Doug spoke last week about, about Joshua and as they moved into the land and the generation following him, remember, he had brought everybody together to talk, to, to say, as for me and my house, we will serve God. But the entire generation, it says, grew up not knowing the greatness of God. The men, the leads, the community leaders did not tell the stories. And it is a very manly thing to sit down your kids, to sit down students and say, I need God so much. <laughs> I'm broken, and I can't figure out my life. In fact, I can't manage without him. And, and it's counterintuitive because our world would say, you know what real men do? They don't show weakness. 
They don't show dependence. They're strong. And it's just so wrong. Real men intentionally express their dependence on God and how much they love him. And listen, this is applicable whether you are a father or not. Because I told you the inheritance that my father is leaving me, but you know what my dad didn't leave me is an inheritance of faith. Because my father is not yet a believer in Jesus. And we pray for him, we, we have conversations about faith, dad and I talk regularly about that, but that's not something he left for me. But I can look back on my life, 39 years old, saying there are four men who completely changed my life and gave me an inheritance of faith that I would never have known if they hadn't put aside and intentionally invested the love of Christ in me. I've shared before that when I was, when I was 12 years old or so, I started, I started going to church. And do you know how I got to church? Because my, my mom had been saved and was going to another church, but I, I didn't want to go there. There was a family in our neighborhood that, that said, I will, I will drive you to church. Because this church had two things that really drew me, girls and sports. Those were, those were the two magical things, that, the, the two magical words in my life. And, and, and I wanted to be there. There was a youth program on Wednesdays, a youth program on Fridays. There was Sunday morning, Sunday night. If there were girls in sports there, pff, I was going to be there. And so at 12 years old, one of the families in the neighborhood said, you know what, Rick, we'll, we'll drive you to church. And in fact, you can sleep over at our house on Saturday, Saturday night so you're ready to go Sunday morning. And, and we'll, on the days you can't sleep over, then you, we'll come pick you up and we'll, and we'll, and, and we'll drop you off. And, and do you know what happened on every one of those car rides, to, on many of the car rides to church? We would talk about our relationship with God. Gary Lambert, one of the men in my neighborhood, would tell me about how Hey, Mrs. Lambert, she got, she got saved and the pastor came, he was doing a home visit and I chased him right off the lawn because I didn't want to hear anything about God. He met the pastor on the door, he was on the doorstep as he pulled in and said, get out of my house, get off of my lawn, off of my property. And then he told me about how his heart changed and how he, his heart softened to Jesus and how he became a follower of Jesus and how he started volunteering in his church and, and why his faith was important. Remember, I was 12. We've already talked about this. Nobody wants to spend time with 12-year-olds. They welcomed me into their house. They let me sleep over. They let me terrorize the younger sisters in their house and the stuff at their house, and they fed me. He was intentionally investing a legacy of love into me. As I continued going on that, uh, continued journeying with that youth group, I met this pretty young girl named Amanda, and I would, I would want to go every night because I wanted to be there so I, could, so, so I could start to impress her, and it turns out that the, that the Lamberts and Amanda's family, the Moors, they were best friends, and, and, these, and these families would always travel together, so the Lamberts actually let me go on trips with them, family vacations away, and, and after time, I started to get to know the Moors family, and I started to get to know Amanda better, and then she would start having the youth group over to the house, but that was really just to get me over to the house. I and I, women, we, we know this. It's just a, it's a bad trick. We can see right through it. But I got to know Amanda's dad, and Amanda's dad began to tell me the stories of his faith and why he volunteered when he was a young adult into youth ministry, and why he volunteered to have people stay in his home, and why he started a youth program at the church, and how he gave of his life and his time, and why his faith was so important. Again, this is a dad speaking to her teenage girl's boyfriend. He should have been chasing me off the property, right? He's intentionally investing his faith and his love into me. Changed my life, who I am. 
There was a youth leader, a youth pastor, who gave up the best, the years of his 20s, the years he should be out doing anything that he wanted to do to serve in our church. We had programs of saying Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, we went on retreats, we went on events, but he taught me how to pray. He taught me how to fall in love with Jesus. He taught me how to do so, he, he taught me the basics of my faith intentionally investing in the next generation, so much so that I said, you know, I'm going to give my life and I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to do this for the next generation. Changed who I am. So as I was a Bible college intern, our pastor left and there was this new pastor that came to our church. His name was Doug Rind. I don't know if you've met him. And I came, and Doug and Laura, they had this, they had one, one child, he was in our youth program, and I don't know how many times I broke Kyle. I broke his glasses, I broke braces, I broke arms, I broke all kinds. They should have gotten rid of me right away. And then they, they left to someplace Mississauga, they go, it's not safe in Brantford, we need to get out of there. And as I was, quite, I had gone through Bible college, and I was just starting out in ministry, and I was feeling pretty defeated, and I had I'd quit my position, I was questioning whether I could continue on in ministry, did I have what it takes to lead in a church and lead others of faith? And he called me and said, I want to bring you here, and I want to, I want to give you a, a new place where you can serve and where you can lead, and gave me a second chance to lead. And if you know our journey subsequently, a third chance to lead a few years. <laughs> but he showed me how to parent, and he showed me how to pastor, and he showed me how to lead, showed me how to love my wife, love my family, love God, love my church intentional investment that will not only affect my life, but Hope's life and the next generation's life. Who are you intentionally investing in and changing lives? Because that's what real men do. They model and talk about their love for Jesus to anyone and everyone. They invest in young people. They love them. They tell them the stories of faith. And people, there is an entire generation of youth and kids, whether they live in your house, whether they live in your community, whether they live in your family's house, that are desperate to see men who say it's not about getting rich and powerful and strong. It's about leaving an investment of faith and living with integrity and living selflessly. They're desperate to see that represented in this world. And so the challenge is, will you do that? Will, will, you, ch- will you lead and live intentionally so that the next generation will see God represented in you? And there won't be a generation that says they don't know the greatness of God because the men step up and said, I will do that. And yes, it's exhausting. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And it's definitely inconvenient. But the legacy that you will leave behind is unmatched. Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere, and an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Do you want that? You want that? Then let's live differently. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for a generation of men and a generation of our church who will say, we will make sure that we uphold this standard of manliness and what manhood is, not what the world says. And Lord, we believe that your blessing will rest when we submit ourselves to you and we follow you. Lord, thank you so much that your word corrects us, that your word, that your word calls us to live differently. And Father, we lay down all of the notions that we've had before and say, God, would you do something different through me as a man in my home, in my job, in my family, in my community? God, thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you so much for your encouragement and your love. 
And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to read a benediction and a blessing over you out of the Psalms that we would live differently. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor as you work. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you may live. And may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. Amen.